Hello, this is the Bureau of Lost Culture. I'm Stephen Coates. First party at Ken Kesey's with Hell's Angels. Cool black night through the redwoods. Cars parked outside in the shade behind the gate. Stars dim above the ravine. A fire burning by the side porch and a few tired souls hunched over in black leather jackets. In the huge wooden house, a yellow chandelier at 3 a.m. and the blast of loudspeakers, hi-fi Rolling Stones, Ray Charles, Beatles, Jumping Joe, Jackson, and 20 youths dancing to the vibration through the floor. A little marijuana in the bathroom, girls in scarlet tights, one muscular, smooth-skinned man sweating, dancing for hours, beer cans bent littering the yard, a hanged man sculpture dangling from a high creek branch children sleeping softly in their bedroom bunks and four police cars parked outside the painted gate red lights revolving in the leaves we were just listening to mickey Hart of the grateful dead's interpretation of allen ginsburg's poem First Party at Ken Keith's. It's just one of the tracks on two amazing albums of musical takes on Ginsburg's collection, The Fall of America from the late 60s. One of my guests today is Jesse Goodman, who produced those albums with the Allen Ginsberg Estate and an astounding array of artists, as we're going to hear. And right now we're hearing a selection of a musical setting of Ginsberg's poem, Iron Horse. And this is from a new album by Youth. Youth is an award-winning British record producer. He's produced a huge range of artists. Everybody from Kate Bush, Credit House, The Orb, KLF, The Verve, Guns N' Roses, Primal Scream, amongst many others. He was the bassist, is the bassist of Killing Joke, member of The Firemen with Paul McCartney and who's the founder of the first psychedelic trance record label Dragonfly, all sorts of other stuff. And as we're going to hear, he is a deeply countercultural spirit and poet. Now, if you're hearing this in early 2024, Youth and Jesse and a host of other special guests, Ian Sinclair, Barry Miles, Pat Thomas will all be appearing at our Ginsburg in London events in March exhibition and all sorts of happening. There's links to them and all the above in the show notes. Or check it out at bureauvosculture.com. Now, as we've heard before, beat poet, Buddhist, activist, provocateur, Allen Ginsberg had a marked impact on the birth of the counterculture here in the UK. His Fall of America series blends poetry, travel writing, personal experiences, radio news, broadcasts, popular songs, new business headlines, and his own observations from the years 65 to 71 when he was crisscrossing the US, exploring a system of composition by narrating directly into a portable reel-to-reel tape recorder that Bob Dylan had given him. The collection is a study of contrast, natural beauty slammed right up against ugliness that rose out of the tensions of violence of the Vietnam War and civil rights movement. Ginsburg was convinced perhaps that America was teetering on a precipice, but events such as the moon landing 
and the death of Che Guevara, as well as the death of his friend Neil Cassidy, former lover, are also subjects. We're going to hear more selections from Iron Horse and the Fall of America albums. I'm going to dig into Alan's life, the counterculture, of course, and music, because Jesse Goodman and youth are here with me right now. It's welcome. Hi. Great, thank you. Youth, I wanted to start by reading something that you wrote earlier this year. Okay. okay. Star sailor, bright blue sky dreamer, arts lab interloper, instigator, catalyst, playwright, performer, actor, poet, lover, architect of the yin-yang uprising, you say you want a revolution? Free love, feminism, Germain Greer, dancing naked with the trees, prime mover, groover, alchemical reducer, kindly shopkeeper of cosmic dreams, activist, anarchist, cannabis crusader, candidate mayor with druids, wizards, cape, publisher of horticultural visions, homegrown brainstorm comics, pioneer of the fearless freedom, Kirkadian cycle, symposium of shamans, Avalon avatar, Arthurian knight, Glastonbury pilgrim, crystal quest, street poet happenings, and the one true star. Introducing Ginsburg to Megatripolis. That, you probably remember, right, is your tribute to your friend. Lee Harris, yeah. yeah. It's my um, homage, elegy, elegy. Uh, to him when he died. Loosely based on the old um, lip-snapping, finger-licking <laughs> Coca-Cola ads we had in mm. the 70s with the poster of this one mm. continual stream of conscious poem. The reason I read it, I mean, the, obviously Lee Harris, you know, lately lately departed and obviously a countercultural figure but the reason i read that is is that you know that's you writing about a countercultural figure and counterculture which is the kind of broader subject of this show but also what we're going to talk about today with Owen Ginsberg i mean that's a big part of your life and i thought what's quite interesting in your case is that you're somebody seems to me who's bridged both you've produced a lot of very big successful artists and yet you consistently throughout have remained countercultural. I've never considered it in that way, but maybe you're right. It's a hard balancing equilibrium to find. Um, Is it? I think so, because if you look at 60s counterculture and a lot of the uh, prime movers of that, Oz magazine, mm -hmm. for an example, which came out of the uh, Drury Lane Arts Lab, London Free School, altruistic uh cooperatives and collectives that instigated the summer of mm -hmm. love in fact very important and uh you know part of that achievement not not only was notting hill carnival but um these magazines oz and international times which uh you know which were set up to provide a countercultural information surface to young people um that couldn't find it anywhere else right. they had to raise funds for that so there were a lot of fundraisers pink floyd's first gig right. was a fundraiser for the arts lab and, and uh ufo club famous psychedelic club in the 60s also came out of the arts lab um, and lee harris was a member of the drury lane arts lab and um did outrageous performances and crazy theatre there and it's remained a massive inspiration for me I mean I instigated a South London Arts Lab about five six years ago for the same purposes really. I've had a couple of people previously on the show and it's 
I think I had to move on from thinking you've got the counterculture and you've got the mainstream culture and they're in opposition because it's like it isn't really like that, is it? It's a sort of cycle between the two, like a counterpoint. I, going back to Oz magazine, three people started that: Felix Dennis, Richard Neville, and one other guy. After the Summer of Love had faded, Felix became a very successful publisher of. Uh, general cultural stuff and a bit of porn, I think. Mm. But he definitely, and kind of a little bit like Richard Branson, mm. kind of started off with the out, these altruistic countercultural ideas and then they became the mainstream, you know. And sure, it's a slightly more informed mainstream, but it's not that different from what was there before. It's very hard to, to go into the mainstream, penetrate mainstream culture, whilst remaining true to the mm. ideals of the counterculture. I mean, that's what I've consciously, subconsciously always tried to do. I've always felt you shouldn't be afraid of the mainstream. You mm. want to connect, you want to communicate, and you want to do it as broadly as possible without the compromise that often comes with it, ideally. Um, and and that will mm. take underground culture into the mainstream and slowly make you know everyone more aware of it and normalize it until it becomes that what you're promoting in a way and that imagine if the summer of love had never happened in the 60s imagine what life would have been like today i mean you know we'd still be living in gray and burgundy 50s that would be it the mainstream culture is completely dependent to get refreshed on the underground the counterculture to, wow, for its inspirations. Yes. Yeah. They always get sucked up and monetized. Well, well that's know. right, because, you know, counterculture comes from the idea of a libertarian, mm. Dionysian, mm. Uh, boundless expression. I mean, and, and mainstream culture is bound up in capitalism and materialism. And, yeah, quite often the capitalist mainstream culture, the corporate cultures will uh, appropriate those pure, mm. idealised, countercultural ideas and sell them back to the mainstream <laughs> as a corporate thing. I mean, everyone does it now. Mm. And it's got a stronger cachet and weight to it now because the world is far more corporate and locked down mm. um, and regulated. And so any kind of whiff of the scent and perfume of countercultural freedom and liberty is utterly irresistible because it's such a rarefied thing. The person that we're going to talk about today, Alan Ginsberg, is somebody also who stayed countercultural throughout his entire life, yes. right? Even though obviously he became a national figure, international figure, he could certainly could have taken advantage of you know, the, the potential to monetize his thing. I mean, you just tell me, first of all, when did you come across Ginsburg? I think possibly through Lee Harris, actually, right. when I was about 17. Mm. And he started giving me a sort of thorough mystery school education in counterculture and beat culture, you know, where all roads meet through the right. lens of Ginsburg, really. So through the poems? Through the poems, our activism. Mm. Also through... Um, Getting into Dylan, which took me a little right. while, and Gin Ginsburg's a massive part of Dylan, mm. and Dylan's a massive part of Ginsburg. I mean, Dylan's also an artist that I think you could argue 
has penetrated the mainstream and and still mm. retains his countercultural roots. Whatever they are, whether it's Christian rock or whatever it is he's into mm. at the time, he's unafraid about expressing it, mm. you know, and that's quite countercultural. But in the last 20, 30 years, I've been writing a lot of poetry. So Ginsburg also comes up working with mm. McCartney. We, we spent a lot of time talking about Ginsburg and his influence. And mm. He knew it and hung out with him a lot. And you see the influence of uh, Ginsburg on the Beatles in 60s. I mean, there's no one else that has that kind of uh, weight of influence, I don't mm. think. Jesse, what about you? What was your first um, experience of Alan? Yeah, I mean, it brings you know back, me back to just being... You know, in high school, pretty boring, mainstream, getting up to run track on the weekends and, uh, you know, wanting something more, something Mm -hmm. more interesting, more magical. And my really first exposure was, you know, going to my first Grateful Dead concert, getting exposed to that world, seeing that there's a counterculture, an active counterculture that still exists. And through their music, I just from my own curiosity, dug deeper through their right. songs about right. Cassidy and, and and all the other figures of that time. So it was through their music that I then opened up into, um, you know, really researching or, or rather kind of pulling out my parents' books on the beats and, and, right. and discovering Alan, who was always there. I just didn't really, you know, spend much time reading his poetry or, oh. or, or getting into it. So that was kind of my first exposure. And then you ended up working with the estate, with the, the archive, with right? the estate. Yeah, it's it's kind of amazing because I read, I read these things as a as a you know sixteen year old, and then mm-hmm. kind of getting into uh, the beats and and all of that. But then you know some years later, I find myself working in Allen Ginsberg's office. A few years after he had passed. Um, I was living across the street from the last place that he lived, where where he actually passed away on First Avenue, where his office was, and uh, um, I I got I started to scan his photos before they sold the archive to Stanford. So I spent each day just kind of pulling photos out of a box, and one day it'd be Thelonious Monk, the next day it would be. <laughs> I mean, just these giant figures and trying to decipher his handwriting on the back of the photos right. uh, because you put these little blurbs about the about the picture, entering that into a computer. Um, well, thankfully, he was a yeah. sort of inveterate collector, wasn't he? And a sort of, sort of self-archivist. <laughs> so there's all this stuff. and yeah, An know. unbelievable archive of, yeah. of material. Right. I was just lucky to be able to have, get my, have my hands on it. Right, right. And of course, the events that were done at the Horse Hospital are around that with Pat Thomas's book that's coming out, which is mining that archive and the events that you guys are doing, right? right. And uh, and Miles is the little exhibition of you know Barry Miles' sort of personal connections with Alan, and uh, you know some of that stuff's lovely to see. Um, you know the stuff that Alan gave Miles, but on the subjects of poetry, right? And youth, you just mentioned then. I mean, last year you were doing a little tour, weren't you, in Wales, where mm-hmm. you were reading poetry. One of the things which struck me. I don't know much about poetry, but in May 65, Ginsburg arrives in London, gives, gives a free reading at Better Books, which, you know, Miles was behind the counter. Um, and it was an event described by Jeff Nuttall as the first healing wind on a very parched collective mind. This thing that provided this sort of impetus for the international poetry incarnation, the Royal Albert Hall, the idea that you could have the Royal Albert Hall full of poets and that that itself triggered or helped to trigger the British counterculture. I mean, that's quite something that poetry 
in the figure of this man and the other poets there could do that, isn't it? Poetry's so powerful, but, you know, it's still very maligned and ignored medium. Most poets really struggle to make a living, yeah. <laughs> you know. But I suppose also one of the big introductions for me with Ginsberg was his famous poem, How. Mm. You know, I saw the best minds of my mm. generation. Starving, hysterical, naked. Yeah. Uh, and that really resonated with everyone, I think. Mm. Uh, and that was 50s, wasn't it? Mm. So that that really kick-started the counterculture then and there. Or, m mind you, I've had it explained to me by Lee and others that counterculture goes back to the shamans in the caves 50,000 years ago. You know, and before the beats, it was... Paris in the 20s and before that, the salons of London in the 18th century, and you know, back, 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 back. And there's a, there is a, a kind of continuity and a thread and that links it all. And what's amazing for me is that, as you say, that one reading mm. in, in one bookshop then precipitated the Albert Hall yeah. Poetry Olympics which many people say was the catalyst for that summer of love to come. And yet it's it's a completely maligned underground medium, you know. But for some reason, poetry still today talks much louder than books, movies, records, anything in some ways because of its sparsity and, and it's just a few words on a blank page. It can actually trigger a tsunami of uh, feelings and emotions and, and images. You know, that's still very uh, powerful and poignant. And that, you know, Ginsberg remains a huge influence. When when I do my po own poetry tour, like the one in Wales, I'll often start with a harmonium with mm. myself. Mm. Then I'll bring in uh, some random people that I ask the promoter to bring in musicians who are local, harp player, guitar player, drummer. And I just say, look, we're going to do a jam in, in D and I'll carry on, just play whatever you feel and respond to the words. And even then, during reading the poem, I'll then just go off on a tangent, start composing and freestyling, and that will end up somewhere hmm. I had no idea where. And that kind of experimentalism, uh, you, you see it, you know, actually far more in art in, mm. with painters and, and, and great painters who fearlessly go into those unknown areas. But it happens in music and, and literature too, and it's always incredibly rewarding when you do it. It's terrifying because mm. no one knows mm. what's going to happen. Mm. But that's part of it. And then by taking that first step, that sort of road re, you know, rears up to meet the foot and then you just keep going. And that's, um, you know, that's so inspiring to do and to see. Yeah. I, I mean, recently, uh, Damo Suzuki from Can died, who's another great experimental freestyle performer. Mm. You know, he, his quote was like, you know, you should never do the same performance twice. It should always be fresh, you know, and I, I really like that. And, uh, yeah, I think and that kind of fearless uh, courage in being that creative mm. always pays dividends. When I'm working with artists, if there's, if there's a kind of writer's block, we will always default back to the Ginsberg, Burroughs, cut-up technique, mm stop being kids again, having fun, making patterns out of words, seeing what things emerge, very quickly things come through. Um, often it's all, 
all about sidestepping your conscious mind. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and tapping into... Sort of trusting that the unconscious is going to kind of yeah, speak in yeah. some way. And in many ways, it will speak the truth far mm. more eloquently mm. than the conscious mind mm. because... Um, it's coming from a different place, I think. Jesse, you were going to jump in there, weren't you? And I was just going to say that in in in, ver in a way, that's how we, you know, Peter and I, who manages the the Allen Ginsberg estate, and 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 uh, it's very much how we conceived of and brought forward the Fall of America project. Mm. You know, we we weren't restrictive about it. We weren't, um, uh, you know, it, it it we just followed a kind of almost an unknown creative flow right. and we allowed the project to take us in a direction it pulled us forward um and we got some amazing results not to mention some of the results with youth but w it was following the flow and we we really didn't you know we didn't restrict our process uh, uh, during that we were talking just before we started yeah. about risk, weren't we? And is, there's yeah. that sort of risk of trusting to the moment. And right. like, as you say, it can go horribly wrong, but at the same time, it can go <laughs> terribly, can great, terribly right. And get you know? great results. Yeah. So, no, absolutely. And we're going to talk yeah. about those projects as well. But just for me, interestingly, so I didn't come across Alan through uh, poems. I came across through Miles talking about him in terms of a friend, right? And what struck me about him, which in terms of, which relating to what you both just said, is that he comes across as this extraordinarily generous person and also a collaborator, right? This sort of generosity of being a collaborator rather than being like a, a you know, the solo diva in some, in some sense. Can you relate to that, Youth, in terms of what you were saying about, you know, the risk of the moment and working with other people? Yeah. Kinsper, very generous spirit, I think. I mean, mm. I don't know, and also completely committed. I mean, right. you read his diaries... They, even when he's writing his diary, it's a poem. And it's like a, con a continuum of the previous bit of poetry or, or diarist entry. And it just cont continually flows. Mm, mm. And uh, <laughs> that's an ideal state of being that we should all aspire to, where we're flowing and being creatively all the time, you know. And it's certainly something I aspire to. Mm. And uh, so, and I think that comes with being generous spirited and being open to collaborations or doing things differently and working with collectives. You know, people have the idea of the poet sometimes as being, you know, the shepherd on his own on the mountain. Uh, and some are, you know. <laughs> but in other ways, the, the, po the poets where they're most needed is in the urban cities mm, where mm. people are beaten down by the mm. the machinations of society those little shards of poetry that pop out are the light that guides our way and brings us back to who we really are you know? yeah and i suppose in in alan's case spilled over into his activism right so. absolutely and spirituality <laughs> what wow. i love about alan and i think uh, you know it's it's nice serendipity that we're talking about him on valentine's day because he was clearly a very loving person it comes through in his writing and poetry and he loved hard and deeply mm. nevertheless he was incredibly promiscuous and free yeah. and he was like that with his spirituality as well i mean he was very into tibetan um buddhism and shamanism and, and, and hinduism mm, and mm. all kinds of things right and for him there's no contradiction between one or the other mm. and being able to embrace it all 
and, and, and use it as nourishment and food for his own ministry of sorts is, uh, is, is, all, is also very inspiring. Yeah. Um, you know, no limits. The power of Alan and, and the love that he brought forth, it, it's bringing people together right. Still. decades after his death. Right. And Peter and I always right. say, it's a, kind of gift that keeps on giving. Yeah. He's yeah. still bringing people together. And we'll I like continue. that word ministry as well. I mean, that's, yeah. it's, it's, that's got the, this, this, this feel of actually going out there, isn't it? You know, you're going to minister to the people. <laughs> when Miles spent the summer on, on the farm, you know, uh, with Alan working on his, on his tapes and basically set this place up as a kind of refuge for kind of his washed up friends, you know, junky poets and beat musicians and desperados. And, and, and just very generously were like, okay, you can come and stay here, clean up maybe, dry out or whatever it is, or just take a break. And, and it was difficult times. People, there's some difficult people there. He managed to, you know, use his resources for the benefit of the community. Yeah, very inspiring. To really live it rather than just yeah. dress it, you know. Um, let's talk a bit about the present then. And you talked about the fall of America, uh, Jesse. So you and Peter Hill from the from the estate had this idea that to reach out to musicians and to basically give Alan's, you know, give permission, as it were, to to use Alan's work uh, as the basis for creating music and done these two amazing albums with, you know, with an incredible lineup of people. Ai Weiwei, Thurston Moore, Lee Ronaldo, Scanner, System 7, Philip Glass, DJ Spooky, Howie B, Biz, Bill Frizzell, Andrew Bird, Devandra Banhart, Yola Tango, Gavin Friday. Yeah, I do kind of pinch myself, <laughs> quite actually. quite a list, isn't it? Yeah, yeah I think yeah. We, we, were, we were a bit uh, taken aback by how mm. this project sort of took on a life of its own. Mm. Uh, you know, Peter and I have been friends for a long time. We've done a lot of projects together, and, mm. and uh, we trust each other in that process mm. uh, so well. And so we, you know, with the 50th anniversary of Fall of America coming up, the 50th anniversary would have been around 2021, 20, um, we started to think that that would be a you know, great idea to combine our love of music of Alan, of also a body of work that's not as well known to the wider public as some of his other poetry. So, you know, we thought this would be a great idea. Let's see if it sticks. And uh, we kind of put together a loose proposal, if you will, of uh, saying to artists, I mean, hey, create your own song, uh, you know, sample Alan, mash it up, do do what you feel is right. And, and then a huge thanks to Miles because he's... You know, the, the unsung hero is the archivist. If it wasn't for the work he did on the farm, mm. pulling all of those amazing uh, versions of, of Alan reading those poems together and, and preserving them, we wouldn't have the foundation for this project. Um, so it's, You know that when he, Miles turned yeah. up at the farm, Alan hadn't told him that there wasn't any electricity. Yeah. So they had to actually rig up a, they had to rig up a windmill on top of the hill. It's <laughs> his tape machine. It's amazing. Uh, the Fall of America, which is this collection published by City Lights, covers the year 65 to 71. Alan's crisscrossing the country, exploring a system of composition by narrating into the portable reel-to-reel tape you know, machine. Uh, and it's characterized by this prophetic tone inspired by Blake and Whitman. It's the poems from that collection that went out there and created, you know, you've done these two, two extraordinary albums, right? And we're going to hear something from them. One of the things that happened is, is that you went out to youth who didn't do a track, but did a sort of, <laughs> took Iron Horse, the poem. And I mean, what happened? Yeah. Well, it's a 36 minute poem. Hmm. Uh, so 
immediately reminded me of KLF's Chill Out, actually, which which is an imaginary road journey through American landscape and an ambient classic. And the poem itself, because he was writing about being on this train journey from the West Coast to Florida, um, seemed like this amazing road trip, even though it was a, a, tra- a rail trip. Um, and I thought, oh, it, it sort of, I could hear, as I was reading it, I could hear a similar sort of soundtrack. So my first idea was, let's go, let's do a kind of a ambient soundtrack to it. And because the poem, I thought, is a snapshot of where America was at spiritually and everywhere else in 1965 or 66 when it was written, I thought, oh, well, let's let's make it, make, make the soundtrack an, an, a kind of an American soundtrack. It, it's ended up becoming more like a European comiche kraut drone piece, actually. But it goes into jazz and all kinds of different areas. It was just... Uh, and a fantastic uh, piece of work to dive into. It took me quite a long time, but I was actually in Spain, and I've got a studio in Andalusia, and I spent about a month on it um, in lockdown, just adding to it and developing it and taking it bits away and refining it into what it is. And uh, I was amazed. Mm. by it at the end, and I thought, well, this is a uh, this is something quite special. Of course. It's never going to fit on one of the CDs. <laughs> <laughs> That's right, 33 minutes. Yeah. Take up an entire side of the vinyl as well, yeah. Yeah, so it became a mm. sort of a, a digital mm. bonus mm. track if you mm. bought the vinyl. Mm. Um, but it went down really well with the reviewers. And we thought it was significant enough to maybe warrant mm. its own release. So mm. that's happening here in March. Mm. Um, and then I reeled in Alex from the Orb and got an Orb remix to to add to it. Night darkling on Mojave Desert, yellow planet light disappearing over mountains westward, soldiers asleep rocking away from the war. Beautiful. One altar light headed towards the disappearing yeah. sun, pew pew pew, cry the children pulling each other's arms. What on earth to live on? It's amazing stuff, isn't it's it? It's amazing. I mean, it's and, amazing. And, and you know what really strikes me as well is that, like, because obviously it's the Vietnam War's going on still feels so relevant yeah absolutely the world is a harder more brutal place now than it was even then mm. even though we had different challenges then it was more nuclear war was the great mm. now it's still coming back nuclear war actually mm. a conscription they're talking mm. about again now i mean we've gone back into uh, uh, you know populist right-wing mm. fundamentalist sort of 50s world again of paranoia and fear but uh that you reading uh, Iron Horse there reminded me of a, a record I made with Alex from the Orb called Little Fluffy Clouds, <laughs> where I sampled um, Ricky Lee Jones in an interview talking about the blue, purple, pink, fluffy skies. You know, of course, the evocation and the invocation of that hmm. place, Ginsburg could bring you into the desert and those skies with just a few sentences you're right. there totally well absolute master mu- magician mm. for that i mm. think totally yeah. Oh, amazing yeah and jesse blends not only that without being literal about it it's the war vietnam war at the time is there and yet it's also very personal yeah youth created a deeply moving and powerful track and to accompany that poem uh, i remember uh, first receiving it and 
lying down on the couch and, 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 go, and going on that journey because that's what it is and you just listen to those words and the music that accompanies it and it's just a, a very, very powerful combination. Iron Horse Night darkling on Mojave Desert Yellow planet light disappearing over mounds westward Soldiers asleep rocking away from the war One autolight headed toward the disappearing sun Pew, 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 cry the children, pulling each other's arms. What on earth to live on? Lights of the city south, brightening a piece of the night, and the diamond green gleam of a light on an airfield. Hey, you bit me, you bit me. Hello, Mrs. Fight. Green, green, green blinks the sign of a diner where the truckmen roam in the darkness toward Barstow. This space capsule, softer than trees in the chemical landscape with the click of electronics. And is heaven any different from where we are? How could it be better or worse? Though delicate chemical changes in the brain, ethereal sensations from Muladhara sphincter up through mind aura promising another universe. Whitman, Carpenter, Gavin Arthur saying, we are leaves on the tree saying we are drops of water headed toward the ocean running through the fish's mouth and we shall stand together in the flesh in paradise with the virgin of the 19th century borax 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 crystal lights upon a hill like fairy castles might be in heaven, only Mojave. Borax, 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 borax. The dinosaurs lounges through the fronds under Pleiades. The delicate filament of highway lights, the nerves between cities. Borax, 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 borax near the Belmar Motel on the desert. Um, this is my enemy, my machine, the chatter-jabber of the mind, making borax, 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 the spinal column of all thought or turkey's oil wind headlights. But a child peeps out of the curved glass onto the moving night, where a red taillight keeps its time to the Santa Fe train, rolling over Hart Crane's gloom. Oh, a crescent moon. Mr. Cummings and Mr. Vinyl both dead. Cigarettes and alcohol, and the 181st Airborne. Hmm. They'd be better off puffing a peaceful pipe of opium or sipping a sepsy of Keefe in a cafe getting high by the green fig trees staring at the ocean side or the Straits of Gibraltar blue. The tricks are what makes business. You got a college education, it ain't what you got, it's what you do with your college education, son. And they're all actors waiting at Barstow the engine humming. I want to be an entertainer. I want to be a comedy writer, he said, his hand stained with Vietnamese blood. The engine humming. All others silent, lost in thought. And the soldier talked all about his troubles with his red hair and how he took his girl home after three drinks when she squinted her eyes at him and said, I want to go with you. And how he drove her to her house and said, I'm giving you a last chance. And how she leaned her head on his shoulder and said, anywhere you're going, take me. And how he took off her pants 
and she said that he should take off his pants, and he wouldn't take off his pants, and how they'd have some love play like everybody. And then he'd drive her home. But when he's out at a bar, if anybody looks at his girl, he looks him in the eye and snaps his finger and says, what are you looking like that for? And when he's out at a bar alone, anybody is fair game for his love. Does that take you back to that time in lockdown when you were sort of sequestered in Andalusia and deeply in it? Well, I mean, having a studio there was a like, you know, having a little portable spaceship that mm. would take me out anywhere. Working on that and listening to it um, immediately teleports me into the Mojave Desert on that train um, with those soldiers and and those conversations he translates it's it's an it's a heady cocktail of imagined uh experience and i've you know i mean that's what i live for is is the, other people's expression of their experience eloquently put whether it's ginsburg whether it's joyce whether it's stolzenet's skin or anything you know mm. that fills me with inspiration and joy from my own experience and of course it's about seeing the fantastic in the real in the mm. ordinary you know and and Ginsburg's a master at just describing what's going on around him in an ordinary way and making it fantastic it's Murakami the Japanese writer is another great uh, exponent of that but many poets can do that as well and in fact a good technique for writing poetry <clears throat> when you've got a bit of a block um, I find is uh, you kind of go through your senses so you you start going through you start you write down five things you can hear hmm. at that moment then you go to five things you can touch, five things you can see. By the time you're halfway through the second or third one, you're in a, into a straight, a, a, a trance state and, and a poetic state, and things just start flowing. And hmm. I, I've used this technique many times with artists um, from the most unknown green kid to McCartney when they have a block. Let's just write down what we can hear, what we can see, what we can feel. Also a great uh, technique of just bringing you into the present. Mm. And, of course, when you're in the present, then another magic occurs because most of the time we're, we're living, you know, fear of loss, hope of gain, past, future, mm. dynamic. When you're fully present in the moment, then another magic, fifth yeah. element, comes in, I think. I, reading Alan, you can you go into that, yeah. that trance state because yeah. the, the cadence of the words yeah. and the way that it's been written, if you read how, yeah. you get yeah. brought into the moment and yeah. brought into that similar yeah. type state. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, listeners, um, to let you know, with Youth's album, Iron Horse, comes a rather lovely book, which has got the poem itself in, which is something, but also uh, his illustrations. I didn't realise these were your illustrations. Um, and they've got something of Alan in them. I'm actually looking at one here where he's not quite sure where he is, but you can see his, his rather large penis in this one. He's sort of bouncing across some cosmic plane. <laughs> but uh, 
Excellent. So we've you, had a lot uh, of conversations about uh, about about Alan's about penis, about Alan's penis, penis, penis so, uh, over many yeah. a night. Yeah. We're going to see. Yeah. We're going to not going to see yeah. it, but we're going to see yeah. some images a repre- of it. Representation yeah. of it. Yeah. We're, well, we're actually going to see some photographs of it uh, at the in the exhibition at the horse hospital because there's a great picture of him and Miles. I think it's at Alan's birthday party. Yeah. When everybody's there in suits and little yeah. ties and stuff, and he's completely yeah. naked. Yeah. Well, I mean, I I like to get naked as well. I mean, I like I love that Alan's quite open and free about his sexuality mm. and about being naked and about our sexuality. You mm. know, because um, we're still in a very prudish uh, Victorian mindset about it despite everything we've gone through in the 60s, there's still a great fear of it. And I think it's still deeply tied up with our subliminal, subconscious, religious backgrounds and stuff. There's still very few people who can address it and and into just part of us being human, you know, which... Yeah, but also what strikes me is, is that that was quite brave because he was always out at a time when, I mean, in this country, you know, until 1967... Or sixty-eight, you know, you, you you know, homosexuality was illegal, yeah. and even then, it was only legal if you were yeah. above twenty-one and in private, yeah. right? And he was he was out and proud, wasn't he? Yeah. And that that took some, forgive the expression, but that took some balls at the time, didn't Absolutely. it? Absolutely, don't yeah. forget some of the people executed in the UK hung were hung for homosexuality. Right. I mean, that is so shocking today to think that it was an actual mm. death sentence. Never mind the sort of death you could potentially face from your fellow citizens just by being lynched or yeah, something, right? Yeah, or, so know. we have moved on a bit <clears throat> since then. And uh, and I think Alan will be happy to see the LBGTQ community in full support from the public now and mm. celebrated as it is. But still a long way to go yet, you know. Um, with the drawings, uh, it was one of my greatest honours to be able to illustrate that poem as a book. And and I'm still blown away by it. Um, but I have been uh, drawing since I was a teenager. Of course, Ginsburg's own drawings kind of inspirational mm. as well. Can't wait for them to come out mm. and uh, see how they're received, mm. you know. Jesse, we're going to hear a couple of more tracks from The Fall of America. And just before we do, I mean, it's quite a portentous title, isn't it, The Fall of America? Yeah. I mean, at the time that it was written... I, I can imagine that the sense of doom that permeated the entire culture, given what was going on, didn't fall then. But we feel like, I don't know about you guys, but it feels like to me like we're in another kind of doom-pervaded sort of times, aren't we? The releases of Fall of America mm. Volume 1 and, and, and uh, the second volume was almost too much right on the nose just to mm. have the titles Fall of America. And oftentimes Peter and I would be trying to explain that, you know, th- that... It was less of, there obviously were dark clouds over that period of time mm. for sure, but Alan's kind of giving sort of words and a pathway out, you know, mm. he's giving hope and optimism as well. And so, we, we, you know, we don't want that to get lost in in the title or in 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 the poetry. Well, also, I mean, I I sort of read it two ways. I mean, potentially you could see it as the fall of America, like the fall of the American empire. Right, but also you could see it in terms of like the fall of America from its n- most noble ideals, human rights and democracy and freedom and all that thing which it also stood for, and it's almost like falling from that, yeah, falling a, from those standards. It's a warning to take heed. Well, listen, in terms of the tracks that we're going to hear, um, I like the sound of this one, Wales Visitation by Seb Taylor, the Kaya Project. Um, tell us, how did Alan... Yeah. 
write this particular piece? <laughs> He'd been in Wales and on psychedelics and uh, um, and just describes the the intense experience that he's had. And I absolutely love that poem. And when I reached out to to, to my friend Seb around this project, um, and Seb came back and chose Wales Visitation, uh, which I was secretly hoping he would. And uh, um, and the track that he created uh, with his his group Kaya Project, it really cushions the poem. It, lo- it allows the poem to breathe and come through, but it just kind of puts its arms around the poem and, and it's, uh, it's beautiful. I, lo- I love it. White fog lifting and falling on mountain brow. Trees moving in rivers of wind. The clouds arise as on a wave. Gigantic eddy lifting mist above teeming ferns. Exquisitely swayed along a green crag glimpsed through mullioned glass in valley rain. Bardic, oh, self-visitazione. The lambs on the tree-nooked hillside this day bleating heard in Blake's old ear and the silent thought of Wordsworth in Elm's stillness. Clouds passing through skeleton arches of Tintern Abbey. There's three versions of, or three interpretations of this poem, Death on All Fronts, um, on these two albums. And um, this one by Lang Lee. Tell us about that one. Yeah, so, uh, again, pretty, just incredible short poems, dark in some ways, a bit ominous. Um, And for whatever reason, that poem, more than any other, really resonated when when we kind of put it out there to a number of artists, a uh, number of people chose that poem. And um, we were put in touch with Lang Lee, who uh, lives in uh, South Korea. Peter and I had a real um, motivation to try to broaden this project and not just 
reach out to the sort of New York artists that we already sort of kind of know and we mm-hmm. could get involved in the project. And so thankfully, we were able to get uh, some Japanese artists, but also Langley, and she translates the poem um, as well and then kind of splices it with Alan's reading and then her, her reading uh, as well. Um, and we've also got a version by Gavin Friday. Yep, with Howie B. That's Howie right. B. Yeah, good to see him in it. And also... Um, sort of hip-hop version by why? Because we did not put any kind of parameters, you know, we ended up with three different artists choosing that poem. And the thing is that they're all very, very different. Um, and so one of the interesting things about this project is how the different styles of music give you a different way of interpreting, digesting the, the poem. So in a way, I was really thankful that three different artists chose Death on All Fronts. silent charms turned to image money my body sexless fat father dying earth cities poisoned at war my art hopeless mind fragmented and still abstract pain in left temple living dead and no moon looks down on a sick sweet planet Orion's chased the immovable bear halfway across the sky from winter to winter. I wake earlier in bed, fly corpses cover glass lit sheets, my head aches, left temple brain fiber problem for death I created. Cover gaslit sheets. My head aches. Left temple brain fiber throbbing for death. I created on all fronts. 
poisoned rats in the chicken house and myriad lice sprayed with white arsenics filtering to the brook city cockroaches stomped on country kitchen floors no babies for me cut earth boys and girl hordes by We've got this event with you and Miles in conversation and then you're going to do a, a musical intervention around Iron Horse at the Horse Hospital on the uh, appropriately on the 15th. <laughs> we sort of subtitled it Alan, Musician and Muse, right? So played himself the harmonium and you collaborated with all sorts of people. So what is it about him or his work that's been a sort of ongoing inspiration to musicians? Like many great artists, Alan is uh, a fan. And he's got great discernment in his taste. You see that in other great artists. Another associate, Paddy Smith, very mm. similar. And because they're so imbued in those artists' work that they love and writers, it speaks through them. Mm. Now, that, I find that really inspirational. And uh, getting into those artists gets you into other artists through their, the lens of their appreciation and and I, eventually the idea i suppose is to get up onto the high sierras where alan and paddy smith are standing be able to breathe the air they're breathing and and find that help hopefully informs your own work you know uh, so the great thing about being an artist i think it's best job in the world and but it's the hardest job in the world because it's so elusive and so ephemeral and fickle and you're always crossing the abyss of terror, despair, doubts, failure, to get there, you know. But that's the heroic quest of it. Mm. That's the Arturian angle and the mystical angle um, that, that also those great writers write about. Uh, and also, encouragingly, for uh, you to take that on board and do the same. You know? There's this sense of them having led the way, have climbed onto the high Sierra to cross the abyss in front of you, so therefore it's encouraging that you might be able to do so as well. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, bang on. As we sort of approach the end, I just wanted to talk a little bit, as we were a bit earlier, about counterculture, where we're at now, and you know what's coming or what could come. We've had two summers of love in this country, 67 and then 87, I guess, right, Youth? And I know you're, you've been a lot more involved in that second one. So my question to you is, is that are we due a third? Absolutely. And, and what's uh, going to bring it about? I keep pushing it. I, I keep putting on little events call, and calling them summer of love events and um, putting it out into the, the ether um, that that's coming. And I'm hoping the... Um, reincarnation of the poetry olympics 60th anniversary in 2025 were working towards with the ginsburg estate and harvey goldsmith to anniversary uh, performance at the albert hall we're pushing hard on that and i i'm hoping you know that event and many other events will see this cyclical return of the dionysian spirits you know and and that's 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 coming in, but I think on a political, general, geographic level, it's been encouraging seeing these autonomous zones spring up over the last ten years. East London, Berlin, people kind of dismiss it as hipster culture, but I think it's it's a renaissance of that uh, counterculture, mm -hmm. and 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 also young 
creative, artistic uh, people finding a way around the uh, obscene disparity between rich and poor mm. and the high rents and very little uh, opportunities to squat now or, or, or find an automaton zone where you can have the uh, time and, uh, uh, and economy to explore your art and, and, and work with other people. So, but I, I'm sure, sure that I'm sure that's going to get bigger and bigger. The idea of what people call digital nomads now mm. is all part of that. That's come up so many times. But you know, we're here in the middle of London, right? Uh, you know, a place that say when Alan came to Better Books, people could live in the cent center of the city. Same in New York, Jesse, right? You know, there was room and space and headspace for artists to develop, right? Yeah. That feels like it's been squeezed out of London. It's, it's an absolute criminal act by governments today um, of denying uh, the, the last couple of young generations the freedom to explore their, their youth and their, mm. their lives, forcing them to either go to university and get into huge debt or live at home with their parents. It's very little um, alternative. And uh, nevertheless, the spirit burns bright and yeah. they will find their yeah. way and they will yeah. find... They're all terms. The self-determination of being able to uh, be creative mm. on, through uh, online things now is, is inspiring. Uh, I'm, I'm very positive about the future. But I think, and also now we just, Pluto's gone into Aquarius, so that could be one of the triggers for the age of Aquarius, which is more liberal, open-minded, free human expression. Jesse, can poetry play a part in this, this um, putative renaissance? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, listening to youth outside, I'll be there right next to him every step of the way, instigating the mm. next summer of love, mm. whatever it takes. Thanks very much for coming yeah. to the Bureau of Lost Culture. Youth, thanks so much for coming to the Bureau of Lost Culture. Thanks, Tim. Thank you so much. Pleasure. Terrific stuff. Well, there's links to Youth's Iron Horse album and to the Fall of America albums and to those upcoming Ginsburg events in the show notes. Great to hear youth on subjects of counterculture, creativity and his working methods. We're going to invite him back for more on those very soon. Thanks to him and to Jesse and to Peter Hall of the Ginsberg Estate for all their work and contributions. And thanks to you for spending your countercultural time here with us at the Bureau of Lost Culture. We appreciate it and as ever... Very nice to hear from correspondents, and uh, my uh, regular correspondent, Ronnie Thomas, sent me another present, a beer mark, a Pink Floyd beer mark. Excellent. Thank you, Ronnie. Keep it coming. Keep your suggestions and mail coming. It's great to hear from friends. We should hear more from other guests with other countercultural stories from the underground, from the other side, next time. In the meantime... Let's close with some more from Youth's Iron Horse. Lights of the city, south, brightening a piece of the night, and the diamond green gleam of the light.
So I sat and I listened and I brooded in my beard till I looked at him and I saw he was ugly. Though his voice beautiful, Edward Carpenter. Now, lying here in my cabinet in complete darkness with a microphone on my chest looking out at the airfields passing by, stars a few in the blackness outside the modern railroad window doubled to reflect passing gas.